evidence and answers. Is religion the invention of the human mind, or was it revealed from God to us? Atheists and skeptics regard religion as simply an invention of primitive man, and that modern man should therefore dismiss religion. But is religion simply the invention of man, or is there another answer to the origin of religion? The answer to the origin of religion has significant implications. You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Join us today for part two of Pat's interview with world religion scholar Dr. Winfred Corwin as they explain which theory best explains the origin of religion and how it matches up with the biblical teaching on this subject. Let's join Pat and Dr. Corwin now as they discuss the origin of man's religion. Well, what is your critique of the evolutionary theory? Is it an adequate explanation for the origin of religion? No, it is not. For one thing, it just does not suit the, the data as we have them. Now, I'm saying for one thing, but that should, of course, be the most important thing in any scholarly enterprise, is to look at the data and see what they do or do not support. And we simply do not have anywhere evidence that any culture went through the various stages successively as a theory of evolution of religion would mandate. You know, that's surprising to hear that, because a lot of us growing up were taught this system and assumed the evidence was there. Well, we find a lot of animism. We find polytheism. We find monotheism and other variations thereof. We also do find that cultures change their religion, but most of the time when we see change, it goes in the opposite direction, that there was a culture that at one time may have been more inclined towards monotheism, which then loses itself into magic and idolatry, animism, polytheism, and so forth. With the Old Testament, there are plenty of examples of that. The prophets of God were forever fighting against that trend, but you see the same thing all over the world. In China, for example, at one time, there was a belief in one God, Shangdi, and over time, then he lost more and more in importance. And today, Chinese popular religion worships many different gods. So the actual development, and I can't call it evolution, but the development is a degeneration, a falling away, not a growth upward. Yes, and one of the things you show in your book is yeah, the evidence actually turns that process, the evolutionary process, upside down. Which leads us to the final theory, the theory of original monotheism, which you briefly mentioned here. Explain that one to us. Well, it's a scholarly support of what we said earlier. The Bible teaches mainly that religion began with people worshipping a single God who had revealed himself and who had given a certain code of proper behavior to the people. Now, on a scholarly level, this whole Endeavor began with a, an anthropologist named A.W. Howitt, who had done a lot of research in Australia and discovered that there were numerous tribes who actually only recognized one god. Now, Howitt did not produce a very satisfactory theory to explain that phenomenon, 
But then a Scottish scholar named Andrew Lang came along, and he said, let's do some more examining side by side of what we see here in Australia and in Africa and in America and various other places. And lo and behold, in many places, we find tribes on a materially rather low point of development who, when it comes to religion, seem to have a very high view, namely that there is only one God. Now, Andrew Lang was not sure where to go from there with that because he saw these tribes whose religion focused on one God and others who were thoroughly animistic, and he did not really have a way of discerning which one of those could possibly represent the original religion of human beings. Now, Wilhelm Schmidt, a German scholar, came along, and based on the work of some other folks, he was able to set up a chronological sequence of the age of various tribes and their culture. In other words, to try to show which current cultures are most likely to resemble the culture of the earliest human beings. And on the basis of that work then, the correlation came out that the earliest cultures, the ones that seem to have changed the least, are in fact the ones that also believe in one God and do not have much of a belief in magic or animism or anything else. They have a high moral standard and they do not engage in a lot of the other magic and rituals and so forth that are so common in, among the tribes that are only one step removed time-wise from them. And so the historical evidence is showing that really the oldest religion was not animism or spiritism, it was actually monotheism. Now, describe to us, you said a lot of these cultures around the world believed in one God. Describe to us what was the belief in this one God? Did these cultures have a similar characteristics of their belief in this one God? Yes, though we have to allow for the fact that it's been thousands of years since they separated from each other, and so there are clearly cultural differences. But when you look at the various tribal cultures that Schmidt analyzed and that he tagged as probably the ones that resemble the earliest ones, then their view of God, though oftentimes anthropomorphic, is actually very, very similar, if not identical, with the God of the Bible. He is, for one thing, uncreated. Nobody made him. And uh, so that's a big point against those who say that God is nothing more than a glorified ancestor. It just doesn't work that way. He is always described as uncreated. He was always there. So he's eternal insofar as uh, tribal cultures can express eternity. He has always been there and will always be there. There is nothing that he cannot do. Okay, we might call that omnipotence. And uh, in fact, Lang, who did not think that they came to this view on the basis of revelation, said, look, this is the easiest way to explain the origin of religion. You look around the world and you ask, who made this? I mean, even a child will raise that question, and the answer, God did, does not seem to be far-fetched in the least, that there is a being whose powers exceed that of ours. He is all-knowing. 
in general, the God of these cultures knows your thoughts, knows what's going to happen. And this, again, is a big difference between the description of the various spirits that are venerated and the various lower-class gods of polytheism. The God of original monotheism knows everything. And he comes with certain expectations of behavior. We should not lie. We should not steal from each other. We should remain faithful to the spouse whom we married. We should be kind to each other and so forth. And of course, there are going to be various local and cultural variations. But the basics of a moral system are there. And one other thing that seems to be pretty general across the globe. This God cannot be manipulated. Don't come to this God and say, God, I'd really have twice as many camels. Or, God, can we do something to make my fields grow better? Or whatever. You can't manipulate him. You can't bribe him. He is, in that sense, remote. Now, the these cultures worshipped God, but they did not think that they were able to make God do things for them if they just found the right handle with which to bend his arm, as it were. So that's a good reason, or a bad reason, if you will, why so many cultures left belief in one God and turned to the veneration of spirits, because supposedly you can do magic and have the spirits do all kinds of things for you if you just get the technique right. Okay, so to summarize, I said the God of original monotheism is eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, all good, and enforces his moral code, and he may receive worship, but he cannot be manipulated into doing various things by acts of worship. Well, give us some examples of this in the cultures that were discovered throughout the world that really, though they may have been animistic when they were discovered, behind them, really the oldest religion was a belief in one God. I mean, give us some examples of these cultures. You mentioned one, well, China. Are there any others? For sure. A good example would be the worship of Gichi Manitou among the Algonquian Native American tribes. Gichi Manitou, the great Manitou, has the various properties that are just ascribed to this god, and he is seen as the only god. He is, or was, worshipped on a regular basis. People prayed to him, but not in the sense of trying to manipulate him. Okay, these are the tribes that include, say, the Delaware, the Cheyenne, the Arapaos. Well, I, I can't think of any more off the top of my head, but when missionaries encountered these tribes, they found that they had a definite belief in God. In some of them, Giche Manitou, the Great Spirit, was seen as being opposed by an evil spirit, though he was not as powerful. And these tribes also hold that there are other spirits, both good and evil, Manitous, with a small m. Now, that does not make them animistic, because these other spirits do not actually receive worship. And that's an important thing to keep in mind, because otherwise there really are no monotheistic religions at all. 
after all, we Christians believe that there is only one God, and we only worship that one God, but we too believe that there are lesser spirits, such as angels and demons and Satan and so forth. So simply the presence of a belief in other spirits does not make the culture animistic. It still is monotheistic if the one God is the one who receives all the worship. Correct. Yes, and so the evidence comes not just from a few cultures, but cultures throughout the world. We saw this pattern that really the oldest belief was in one God who created all things. It was discovered in hundreds of cultures throughout the world, wasn't it? Right. And we need to make sure, though, that we do not just engage in the heaping up of instances and count that as evidence. And you know, I'm not the first one to have written on this topic over the last 30, 40 years or whatever, but I will say this, a lot of books that have taken up the topic of original monotheism, maybe in a chapter or so, usually just rely on the accumulation of evidence. Look, you find it in America, you find it in Australia, you find it in Africa, etc. But it's not just that it is found in so many places, but that with the cultural historical method that Schmidt and his followers used, we are able to show that these very cultures are also the ones that reflect the earliest human culture. Yes, explain to us this important point you make there, the cultural historical method. Explain that to us a little bit. That was very important. The idea is that it's not impossible to figure out when confronted with several cultures in one context, adjacent to each other, and so forth, which may have been the earlier arrival and which had come later to displace it. Now, to do so, we look at the various artifacts and everything that goes with the culture. Schmidt called these things the forms of a culture. And we can see, oftentimes, that, for one thing, in an area of overlap between two different cultures, one takes over and the other seems to be in decline. And so we infer, all other things being different, that the one that is taking over and spreading is probably the one that came later in time. So the one that is being displaced or conquered must be the one that was there earlier in time. Let me try just a simple hypothetical example. Let's say that there are two tribes that we stumble across, and there's one tribe that does not have pottery, that has merely sticks for weapons, has fire, but does not have houses, and so forth. Right next to it is a tribe that does have pottery, that has weapons with flint heads, like bows and arrows and spears and so forth, has fire and has huts in which the people live. Okay, now, which one of there was probably older? Well, we can look a little bit further. We find that in the less developed material culture, they are now living in areas that are not as productive for food, 
as the more developed culture. Members of that culture are beginning to adopt some of the forms of the apparently invading culture. They, some of them start to try to build houses or, or huts and trying to find ways of making flint weapons themselves. And so apparently then the more advanced culture is taking over the less advanced culture. And then one more element, if we look at the more advanced culture, we find people within that culture who, even though outwardly they have totally adapted the more, shall we say, spiritual or psychological or mental aspects of the culture, are still present. They know and pass on from generation to generation, say, some of the mythologies that the less developed culture holds. And so there we have a remnant of a culture. So if that made any sense at all, if you put all of that together, you have a clear, hopefully, picture of how we can judge between these two cultures, which was there earlier and which had come later. Yes, and we're discovering that in some of the most ancient of cultures, the oldest belief is in that of original monotheism, or one God creator of the heavens and the earth. Now, what impact has the theory of original monotheism? I mean, this is a theory that's consistent with the Genesis account and with Paul's account in Romans chapter 1 that explains the origin of the world religions here. What impact is original monotheism having on the studies of religion and in anthropology and in other areas? Or is it making an impact? Would you say none or oh, very, my. very little? Wow. Uh, if you look through the books, Schmidt usually receives just a bare notice, and chances are that what he's saying is not represented correctly and then is dismissed on the basis of his being a Catholic priest. And that should not drive us up the wall, because, as I said earlier, if your basic worldview precludes the supernatural, you're not going to accept such a theory. And so, since the fields of anthropology and archaeology and social studies and so forth in the secular universities do not include religious considerations. That would be true in the case of the theory of an original monotheism as well, and we can just expect that. However, we can, first of all, show Christians that what they believe is not incompatible with the actual evidence. The evidence is there, and whether it's ignored or not, it still is there. Now, unfortunately, Wilhelm Schmidt's 12-volume magnum opus has not been translated, and I can't imagine that it ever will be, though some of his other books have been, but uh, at least among scholars, they should know enough German to read a German book, and so the evidence is there. And then I'm not totally without hope that after books such as mine have become more readable, more accessible to various people, that uh, at least the theory will not be dismissed offhand by uh, the idea that, well, here was just a uh, 
Catholic priest who was creating evidence in order to support his belief. So you know, the easy, the obvious answer is it has not had a lot of impact, not that I would necessarily expect any, but there is potential for impact, particularly among Christian scholars, and hopefully eventually within the academy as a whole. Yes, you know, this theory is supported not only biblically, but by the historical evidence that's there. Well, has this theory has influenced missionary strategy? Well, I'm not sure it hasn't entirely. We need to take cognizance here, particularly of Don Richardson's book, in which he collected a large number of uh, incidents where missionaries have encountered tribal cultures that believed in original monotheism of some sort. Okay, I was scrambling for the name of his book for a moment. It's called Eternity in Their Hearts. And uh, Don Richardson, who wrote this book 20-some years ago, has encouraged a lot of missionaries to look for some kind of original monotheism or some awareness of looking for a savior figure in other tribes, in various tribes around the world. And actually, Wilhelm Schmidt wrote his book, which became the 12 huge volumes of Der Ursprung der Gottesidee, as a help towards missionaries as well. Now, there are some issues that we have to deal with. The books written for missionaries on a popular level oftentimes are way too fast in coming to conclusions. And then out of uh, various possible interpretations or variations on a particular piece of evidence, they tend to pick the one that suits their purpose the most handily. We need to be aware that a lot of popular presentations are indeed slanted, which is the charge that was, of course, brought up against Wilhelm Schmidt. But at the same time, I think a good missions program should help missionaries understand that the people whom they encounter may already have, at least in the background of their culture, believed in one God. Now, we can't say, cannot, that this God is the God of the Bible if there are other descriptions attached to him, and chances are that you will find those. Just as we say concerning Allah, that he is the God of the Bible historically, but not as he is presented conceptually today. And the same thing would be true for the God of the uh, Australian Aranda or the Algonquin Manitou or whatever. The Bible is still the correct revelation, but these people oftentimes don't need to be convinced that there is one supreme being. Yes. You know, this. we've been talking with Dr. Winfred Cordoen and his new book, In the Beginning, talking about the origin, answering the question of the origin of man's religion, a very scholarly and outstanding book here. Dr. Cordoen, they can not only get a copy of the book, but you also have a website in which you have a lot of great articles, not only in various fields, apologetics and the world religions as well. Tell us a little bit about your website. Well, my website is 
www.wincordwin, W-I-N-C-O-R-D-U-A-N.com, and you'll find all kinds of things on there. And also under resources, I list all of my books and then various articles and series that I've presented on my blog. I try to stay fairly regular with my blog. It's found wincordwin.bravejournal.com. And I invite anyone to please look over what I have to say. As I said, it's very mercurial. You never know what's going to show up. Yes, it's an outstanding website. I go there regularly. And also, you can visit him on Facebook as well, where he also puts in a daily log there on Facebook. We've been listening to our interview with Dr. Wynne Cordwin on his new book, In the Beginning, God, answering the question regarding the origin of religion. So, Dr. Cordwin, thanks for being with us here on well, Evidence and Answers. It's been my pleasure, Pat. Thanks so much for having me as your guest. This concludes Pat's interview with world religion scholar Dr. Winfred Corderin on the origin of man's religion. If you would like to hear this entire interview, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to this and many other great interviews with Pat and his guests. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us again next week as Pat and his friends continue to provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ. Evidence and Answers Radio Show is brought to you by our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, please visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us here next week or on the web for more evidence and answers.